Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. Eventually, I gotta change that title. I gotta change that slogan, because that is way, way too long. But we'll save that discussion for another day. The discussion we're going to have in today's episode, we got a full slate for you guys. We're going to be talking about this this discussion that's been going on really throughout the entire offseason in regards to the Kyle Busch and Joe Gibbs racing saga, even though we thought it would have ended when he announced he was going to RCR, but of course it hasn't. We're also going to be talking about the news that just dropped about Takuma Sato being announced as Ganassi's oval driver for their number 11 entry. And then finally, we'll be talking about the news that also dropped today about how Formula One is not going to be replacing the Chinese Grand Prix and instead will only run 23 races. Is that good? Is that bad? What does that mean for the Chinese Grand Prix? We're going to answer all those questions on today's episode. So without any further ado... Let's begin. All right, so let's start off with this. If let's say you're forced to let's say you're forced to leave your your job. And because your job isn't able to accommodate for what you're asking for. So you go and you leave your job and then your job and then your new job is able to accommodate for everything that you want. Whatever you want for the most part, not everything course but for the most part your job is able to accommodate for everything that you want talk about your new job how do you think that's going to make your old job look because from an outsider's perspective we see this and we'd probably be thinking oh they don't care oh the, the old job they didn't try they didn't put in any effort they were just waiting for you or them to eventually pull the plug and get you out of here. That might be what it looks like just from a surface standpoint. But folks, here's the thing. If you see a book and it has a great cover, colorful, nice pictures, a great title, that doesn't mean the book is good. You still have to go through the ins and outs. You still have to go through the meat and potatoes before you find out what is actually the content. And we can apply that to a lot of things in life. I think we can apply that as well to this whole Kyle Busch, Joe Gibbs racing saga. Which again, as I stated in the opening, I thought this would have ended already. I mean, folks, you think Kyle Busch still wants to be talking about Joe Gibbs racing? Or still wants to hear stuff about Joe Gibbs Racing? Do you think Joe Gibbs Racing wants to still hear stuff about Kyle Busch? I mean, they, they've gone their separate ways. Joe Gibbs Racing retired the 18 temporarily. You would think that the Kyle Busch-Joe Gibbs Racing relationship, talking points, everything is done. But no, of course they're not. In fact... You can even make an argument that they've come out more strong than ever. Because you have the talking point of Kyle Busch. Why couldn't he say a joke he was racing? Couldn't find sponsorship. He goes to RCR. 
Sponsors are coming to him left and right. Now again, let's go back to that cover page. You see that as the cover, just, just the beginning, that that's the main headline. Imagine you're reading an Associated Press article, and you just see the headline, Kyle Busch's new team manages to find sponsors. You might think to yourself, you're like, or let's say, you know, let's stir up the clickbait a bit. The headline reads, Kyle Busch's new team easily finds new sponsors. You might think to yourself, oh, look, RCR is able to do it just as well. You know, just like that, the snap of a finger. Meanwhile, Joe Gibbs Racing, it's like they, they just tried once and then they were done. So you're automatically going to have the mindset of Joe Gibbs Racing never tried. But folks, what is the one thing that we say about auto racing compared to other sports? Compared to your footballs, your basketballs, your baseballs, etc. It's so different that you can't compare them. And in that mindset, I think that we have to apply that to motorsports as a whole. Even individual racing. Like, the way I am is... So, I like to look at every little detail. I hear one story, I hear a broad story, and I think to myself, okay, there's two sides to the story. Like, let's say you have two friends, and they're arguing, and they ask you to pick a side. If they ask me, they full-heartedly know that I'm going to tell them, let's see other... Okay, let me hear both your sides. Oh, you're taking that side? No, 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 I'm not taking a side. I'm trying to hear both sides of the coin. There's two sides to a coin here, folks. Just like there's always two sides to a story. So, to everyone out there who genuinely believes that because RCR is managing to find sponsors for Kyle Busch, meanwhile Joe Gibbs Racing supposedly couldn't, let me ask you a question. What do you notice with all of Joe Gibbs Racing sponsors? I'll give you a couple seconds to figure it out. The number one thing about JGR sponsors that you can, you may not think about, but once I give you the answer, you're going to see. Most of them are majority primary sponsors. And we're not talking about just getting to halfway through the season and then calling it a quits. No, we're talking about the full, like a good two-thirds of the schedule, 25, 30-plus races. Look at FedEx with Denny Hamlin. Bass Pro Shop with Martin Truex Jr. DeWalt and their brands with the 20 car. What do you think Monster Energy is going to be with Ty Gibbs? I guarantee you they're going to be a primary sponsor for at the very least 20 races, at the minimum. Compare that to Richard Childress Racing. RCR. Can you really say they have a primary sponsor? I think the most primaries one sponsor has is nine races at best. I mean, look at how many sponsors Kyle Busch has. Cheddar's, 
this new sponsor that was just announced yesterday. I mean, what else? I believe Caterpillar is still a sponsor. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they got multiple sponsors. Alsco, BetMGM. I just named five sponsors right there. And folks, you just need six sponsors. Spread them out between six races. You sold out your schedule. Because it's only a 36-race schedule, I say only. But that's RCR's business model. They're not looking for the big, giant company that's going to pour in 20-plus million dollars to sponsor a majority of the schedule. Would they like to have that? Of course they would. Who wouldn't? But RCR's business model when it comes to sponsorship is honestly very similar to the NASCAR model of sponsorship. The title, you know, the premier series itself. I mean... What was NASCAR's model for years and years on end? One title sponsor, Winston Cup Series, Sprint Cup, Nexel Cup, Monster Energy Cup. Now, they just got a bunch of different primary sponsors pouring money in. Coca-Cola, Bush Beer, Xfinity. Multiple. And multiple companies pouring money in. And that's the same way as Richard Childress Racing. They're now looking for the title sponsor. They're looking for just some official partners, if you would. And a lot of teams do this. I mean, feels like the 24 car nowadays has multiple sponsors. Team Penske, that 12 and 2 car, I don't even know if they have a primary sponsor that sponsors more than five races a year at this point. But they're not looking for that primary sponsor. But Joe Gibbs Racing is. Why? Because that's their business model. Now you might say to yourself, well, they got to change their business model. They got to do it. They got to adapt to the times. Imagine trying to tell a company that has had one way of doing things, and for the most part, it's worked, that they need to go ahead and change. You know the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Same thing applies to Joe Gibbs Racing. Why would they change the business model after one sponsor doesn't re-up? And folks, they were very close to having another one. Oracle was just a couple checks away from being the primary sponsor for the 18 car, and Kyle Busch probably still would have been with Joe Gibbs Racing had the deal not fell through. So that alone shows that that model can still work. So if it can still work, why would Joe Gibbs Racing change it? Like I mentioned before, do you think Monster Energy is really only going to sponsor a handful of races? I don't. The Adam Stern quote from a couple weeks ago, even Monster Energy stated, they're going to be a strong primary sponsor. Now, what that means, who knows? But then again, motorsports terms, when they come out, they're usually very vague. But I'm willing to bet money on that they're going to be sponsored at least 20 races or so next year for Ty Gibbs. So, it's not that Joe Gibbs Racing couldn't find a sponsor. They clearly did. It just didn't work out. It's that they couldn't find a sponsor, for the most part, that would fit their business model. RCR, 
They have sponsors already, number one. So it's like Kyle Busch is jumping into a sponsorship pool as is. So it's not like he really had the... He didn't really have the weight on his shoulders to go and find more sponsors. He had them already there. And you don't tell me that makes his decision a little bit easier to pick RCR when he's like, oh, they just they already have the sponsors. They just need a driver. Here I am. And let's go to, you know, stop to talk about the finances, the sponsorship aspect of things. Let's talk about the driver aspect of things. So Kyle Busch was asking for what was the realm of 14 to 15 million dollars annually for his new year for Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, I am 100% on board with people going to get their worth. I was talking to uh, one of my managers at my job, and he said, you know, the younger you are, the more you're worth. So you need to get as much of your value as you can. And Kyle Busch, he's arguably a top five most valuable driver in the garage. However, when you've won four races in the past Three years. You know one more races in that time span? Kyle Larson, who missed all but four races in 2020. Alex Bowman, William Byron, Christopher Bell. Tyler Reddick has only one win behind Kyle Busch in that time span. Hell, Truex, Hamlin. All of those drivers have one more race than Kyle Busch in that three-year time span. So, let's say you're going up to a job, and you're saying, I want $20 an hour. Okay, what is your, what's your resume? What shows me that I should give you $20 an hour for this job? Well, look at my accolades. Okay, again, the cover is very good, but... You start diving deep into the meat and potatoes, especially what has been going on recently. Again, I'm of the opinion, what have you done for me lately? Now, what have you done for me in the past? A best points finish of 8th? A best average finish of 12.8? And this last season, an average finish nearly 17th? Finished outside the top... Finished outside the top 5... Not... Outside the top 10, excuse me, in points. So you got a driver who's arguably on the decline, and usually drivers are supposed to hit their prime in Kyle Busch's. The average year for the prime of a race car driver is around 38, 39. Kyle Busch is declining before the average prime should begin. You want to pay someone $15 million who's arguably declining? I guarantee you Kyle Busch is not getting paid $15 million right now. Compare that to his replacement, Ty Gibbs. 33 in his one full-time Xfinity season. He won seven races, won the title, had an average finish of 9.2, an average start of 5.5, and has been compared to his replace the driver he's replacing. And I've heard folks go on and say he's arguably the, the biggest prospect in NASCAR history. So you're telling me I'm getting I'm swapping out a declining driver who's asking for a lot of money who can't bring sponsorship, for a younger driver who is cheaper, younger, I don't even think he's in his 20s yet. So a driver who's not even in his 20s, not even old enough to drink yet, who's already a champion in the lower divisions, brings sponsorship, and is a hell of a lot cheaper than Kyle Busch. 
Joe Gibbs has to start thinking for the future at that point. I mean, Hamlin isn't getting any younger. Truex isn't getting any younger. There's a very real possibility both of them retire at the end of this year. So Joe Gibbs has to start thinking of the future. Why not put Ty Gibbs in? He was serviceable in his, you know, 15 starts this season. So why not give him a shot? He's already got the next-gen experience. He's cheaper. He's not going to ask for that money. He's well-embedded into the program. Say what you want. Yes, Kyle Busch is Toyota's most successful driver in history. And from that alone, yes, I do think he does deserve to be with Toyota, you know, basically as long as he wants. But, obviously, it's woulda, coulda, shoulda. That's the world we live in. So if we have to go off of this reality or business or whatever you want to call it, I think Joe Gibbs made the right decision. Because think about it this way. Let's say we go into 2023. Kyle Busch is still in the 18 car. He has another similar season that he did to this last year. Last year, he had one win, eight top fives, and 17 top tens. Let's bump those up a little bit. Let's say two wins, 10 top fives, 19 top tens, finishes 10th in points. Has an average finish of 14.3. Just to throw a number, a couple numbers out there. You really think people are going to be warranted thinking that, yep, he's definitely worth the $15 million. Meanwhile, if you put Ty Gibbs in that car, and let's say he doesn't even make the playoffs, he doesn't win, he finishes 19th in points, and has an average finish of about 18.4. Just to throw a number out there. You think people are really going to get that critical of Ty Gibbs? Some might, because obviously of who he's replacing, but he's a rookie. He's still a rookie, folks. Like, you got to remember that. They're going to cut him some slack. So, to everyone out there who's saying that Joe Gibbs didn't really try for Kyle Busch, hold the brakes here. The business models between both teams, RCR and Joe Gibbs Racing, are two completely different entities. RCR is known to do things a little more the old school way. Joe Gibbs, they're a bigger, badder team. They want that one primary sponsor, and they're going to get it. One way or another. Yes, Kyle Busch probably should have stayed with Toyota. He's their most successful driver. The fact that Toyota... If if my opinion, I think it's more on Toyota rather than Joe Gibbs Racing. They could have put him in a 2311 car. I mean, 2311 is about to have a third car with Travis Pastrana. You really telling me that Toyota couldn't find a way to put Kyle Busch in one of their cars? So to everyone out there who's trying to criticize Joe Gibbs Racing, now I'm not saying Joe Gibbs Racing should be completely just thrown off, you know, given the complete, you know, off the hook. No. Yeah, they probably could have put in a little more effort. They probably could have tweaked some things around, maybe asked one of their existing sponsors to bump up their sponsorship. They probably could have done some extra things here and there. But at the end of the day, if you're going to choose between a declining driver who for the past three years Hasn't finished in the top five of points. Hasn't led more than a thousand laps. Hasn't led more than 600 laps in the past three years. Who hasn't had an average finish inside the top 10 of the past three years. Versus a driver who many regard as one of the greatest prospects in NASCAR history. Who's compared to the driver he's replacing at a much cheaper rate and brings sponsorship. Nine times out of ten, you're going to take the former.
it's a tough world in motorsports. It's a rough business, but at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do to compete and to stay ahead of the competition. And it may be controversial, but I think Joe Gibbs Racing made the right decision to replace Kyle Busch with Ty Gibbs. Okay, so if you've listened to my show for any length of time, you would know that I'm very critical of IndyCar for multiple reasons, including the reason of the fact that it feels like the Indianapolis 500 is the only name, you know, namesake of the series. I was even talking to a friend of mine at one point in the chat, and he was saying that he doesn't really care about the Indy 500 because he doesn't care about IndyCar. And I told him straight up, you think anybody who watches the Indy 500 cares about IndyCar? I think maybe 2% of the fan base. I'm not trying to diss IndyCar in that sense. I'm just saying what the reality is. But, obviously we do have this reality where the Indy 500 is basically the IndyCar season. So, and I'm of the opinion that the Indianapolis 500, look, it's been around before the IndyCar series. It does deserve that at the end of the day because, well, it's the biggest race in the world, folks. No race means more to win than the Indy 500. I would rather win the Indy 500 than win any motorsports championship. That is how big the race is, in my opinion. So, you want to win the big race, you got to hire a strong, capable driver to give you the best shot at winning. And really, throughout this offseason for IndyCar, there hasn't really been that many strong candidates out there, except for one. That candidate was Takuma Sato. And who picked him up? None other than Chip Ganassi himself. They're going to be opening, I believe it's the 11 entry, which would probably be the former 48 car. I'm assuming Sato is going to take over the uh, is going to take over that Jimmy Johnson entry. But we'll just have to wait and see if Jimmy does come and maybe they open a fifth car or something, i.e. the 48 car. We'll have to wait and see. Because Ganassi has what is it, three yes, three full-time drivers. Obviously now they have this fourth with Sato, they'd have to open up a fifth for Jimmy Johnson. Unless Sato for some reason agrees to Get out of the 500. Anyway, I'm going off track here. So, there really isn't a better driver, in my opinion, that Ganassi could hire. Sato is, honestly, one of the more underrated drivers in the garage. Especially when it comes to super speedway racing. Because you hear, like, when you think of Indy 500 contenders, what are the names that usually pop up in your mind? You might think of, you know, Will Power, Alexander Rossi, Alex Pillow, Elio Castroneves, Scott Dixon. But how many of you really put Takuma Sato in that category? I'm going to guarantee it's not a lot of you. But why not? He's a two-time Indy 500 champion, and he's arguably one of, if not the best oval racer in the series. I mean, taking a look at his stats from just this last year, this is all on racing reference, by the way. Let's take a look at his oval stats. Texas, he finished 20th, but that's due to a crash. and But he still led some part of the race. He led five laps. Then let's go to Indianapolis. He was a lap down, which the cars weren't even that much fast, weren't even really that fast that day, so that's an outlier. 
Then let's move on to Iowa, the doubleheader. 21st, five laps down. I believe he was involved in some sort of incident. But then the second Iowa race, he finished 10th, top 10. Then Gateway, he finished 5th. But you also need to look at the qualifying efforts. I mean, the finishes are hit or miss, but look at the qualifying efforts. Texas, starting 3rd. Indianapolis, the 500, starting 10th. The Iowa doubleheaders, 9th, 4th, Gateway, 8th. His worst qualifying effort was 10th. Sato is a very, very capable oval racer. And look, anytime you can get an Indy 500 winner on your team, let alone a multiple Indy 500 winner on your team, that boosts your program just off the bat automatically. Like, would you rather have Jimmy Johnson on your team? Like, would you rather have Jimmy Johnson on your team for the story, especially because it looks like he is going to do the Coke 600 Indy 500 double this year? Yes, it would be a better story, but do you really think some of these teams care? Folks, the only teams that care about stories are the teams that don't really have that much of a shot to win or aren't going into the race thinking they have a shot at winning. Do you really think that McLaren went into 2019 with Fernando Alonso and in 2017 thinking they were going to win the race? Thinking they were going to be a top five contender? Exactly. So, Ganassi doesn't care about stories. He cares about winning. I mean, his hashtag is, I like winners. So what does he do? He snags up a two-time Indy 500 champion. Now, Sato isn't, you know, Sato isn't, you know, a spring chicken. He's going to be, what, 46 years old by the time the 500 starts? So he's going to be very well up in age. We've seen what Tony Kanaan can do. Kanaan is right there in age with Sato. I believe he's even a, a little bit older. And Kanaan, he's got a couple podiums. He's got a couple top five finishes. I mean, I remember back to 2018 in an AJ Ford car, arguably the worst car in the grid. He was leading the race and arguably could have won. So, I mean, and just take a look at a couple Sato's wins. I mean, look, Sato is very capable of winning. I mean, one of his last few wins was Gateway back in 2019. So Sato knows how to get it done. And again, his last win was the Indy 500 back in 2020. So, I think this is a great pickup for Ganassi. This boosts their program even more than it already is. Because now you got three Indy 500 champions on the team. You got Dixon. You got Marcus Erickson, who I predicted would win the 500 last year, might I add. And you got Takuma Sato. You got four Indy 500s, 500 wins on your roster. And Alex Pillow, he very he was about a lap or two away from winning the 500 back in 2021. I think this boosts Ganassi's program. I think Ganassi's going to be even more dangerous this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Ganassi car in victory lane at the Indianapolis 500 this year. And if you had to ask me who has the best shot out of all four of them, I would give it to Takuma Sato. He's, in my opinion, the best oval racer out of the four. He's got the most Indy 500s. He's actually won the Indy 500 under this current aero package with the aero screen. So, great pickup by Ganassi. I think it's really going to help their program. 
And we'll see how Takuma does. He'll probably win one of the oval races. I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm very excited to see what that 11 car does during this year of IndyCar racing. So Formula One announced that they're not going to be replacing the Chinese Grand Prix this year. And they are going to have 23 races this year instead of the original, which was going to be 24. Now, I've talked about the Formula One calendar when it was announced in the past. This is when the Chinese Grand Prix, I believe, was still announced to be on the calendar. And I've already said to my grievances, I feel like they're too, they're not, it's not spread out enough. It doesn't feel like so much of a world championship now. I've talked about how it feels more just like the racing in the Middle East, America, and Europe, and that's really it. Still waiting on the German Grand Prix, still waiting on an African Grand Prix, you know, things of that nature. But, you know, I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about what is the future for the Chinese Grand Prix? And is the Chinese Grand Prix ever going to come back? Now, before I even say anything else, I do believe that they did sign a contract that does give the Chinese Grand Prix until, I believe, where the Chinese Grand Prix is going to be on the schedule until, I believe it is the 2025 season or 2027 season, somewhere around that mark. Like, Formula Formula One usually usually signs long-term contracts to their race, to their, you know, their, to their races. I believe Qatar has a 10-year contract as well. So, China, I believe, is no exception. However, I'm pretty sure Formula One really wants to. They will axe a contract fairly easily. I mean, folks, we haven't seen the Chinese Grand Prix in nearly four years. And the last time we saw the Chinese Grand Prix... I mean, I believe it was kind of... Let's say it this way. Would you consider the Chinese Grand Prix to be a mainstay event on the Formula 1 calendar? Would you put it up there with the likes of Monaco, with the likes of Spa-Francorchamps, with the likes of even Suzuka, or something more modern, like the United States Grand Prix? Would you put the Chinese Grand Prix in that pedestal of racing, of races? I wouldn't. I would, like, looking back on races from the Chinese Grand Prix, there's not that much to remember. I mean, I remember Albon in 2019, the last time we raced there, he went from the pit lane to finish 10th in a Toro Rosso. I mean, that was impressive, but, I mean, this is motorsports. I'm not here, we're not here to watch the battle for, for 10th. We're here to watch the battle for the lead, the battle for the top positions. And do you really get that in the Chinese Grand Prix? Not really. I mean, yeah, it's a cool circuit. Don't get me wrong. It's a cool circuit, a cool design. But a lot of the times the Chinese Grand Prix is kind of a dud. Now, I'm not saying that Formula One is should nix the Chinese Grand Prix because the racing isn't that good. I mean, how many tracks do we have on the schedule where the racing is just piss poor? I mean, Jeddah is one example. Mel, you know... Albert Park, Singapore, Yas Marina, just to name a few, where the racing is basically year in and year out a dud. But Formula One still keeps them on the calendar. 
So I'm not saying that they should be taken off because of that reason. But, and don't get me wrong, China is a very huge market for Formula One. We have a Chinese driver on the grid. Formula One is going to do everything in their power to keep the Chinese Grand Prix on the Formula One calendar. But, I could see a scenario where the Chinese Grand Prix is a thing of the past. I mean, yes, I know China is where COVID originated from. So, who knows what the situation is over there today. It may still be just as bad as it was back in 2020. Who knows? And, that's another thing also. Does the FIA and do the world really trust China? I mean, I'm not trying to get political here, but do they trust the country to be able to safely, in a way, to safely organize and run an event as big as a Chinese Grand Prix would be? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they don't trust China yet. They're like, you know what? You haven't earned our trust yet for us to run this race. So we're going to ask you off the calendar again. And thinking about this now, I honestly believe that Formula One not running a replacement race for the Chinese Grand Prix is kind of in China's benefit. Because think of it this way. If Formula One were to replace the Chinese Grand Prix with another event, and that event does well, then Formula One might just think, oh, we have a new marquee event on our calendar. China hasn't been around in nearly half a decade at this point. What's the point of going back? So the Chinese Grand Prix, they would then, had there been a new race, they would probably have to then compete with Formula One to try to convince them, oh, okay, please bring us back. But with no replacement race, it gives China that little extra bit to just, you know, gather their time and, you know, give them some breathing room, thinking that, okay, we don't have a replacement. We don't have a, a race to potentially compete with or a country to compete with to host, host a Formula One race. But that is something I feel like we need to look for for probably the rest of the season. Not full steam ahead, but, you know, in the back of our minds is, are we ever going to see the Chinese Grand Prix again? Yes, I know they have a contract, but as we've seen in Formula One for the past couple years, contracts really don't mean anything. A contract is just as good as the piece of paper it's written on. And I can see a very possible scenario where 2019 was the last time we've seen the Chinese Grand Prix. So that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Anchor, and Amazon Music. You can find our entire back catalog on all of those platforms. If you want to follow me on my social media, you can follow me on Instagram at Armani DePaul, A-R-M-A-N-Y-D-E-P-A-U-L. Or you can follow me on Twitter or TikTok at Motor Minister. Got some conversation going on there. But once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will see you next time.